It's the next level. At the moment of death, a voice from the darkness offered you the chance to live again. Have your answer? There's no time to think about it. Your heartbeat away from flatlining. Quick, what's the answer? I'm Todd McFarlane, and I created Spawn. I hope you'll consider the question I've just posed, because a man named Al Simmons didn't. When the question got popped on him, he signed like some stupid rookie in blood. See, Al had qualities he didn't even know he had, a special kind of wiring that Malboza the devil looks for. And when he said yes to that voice, signed on for a whole lot more than he ever bargained for. So before you find yourself in a similar situation, and a voice calls to you in the darkness, think of Al. Or as you may see, you'll have all eternity to think about your mistake too. And now spawn, so turn off your lights. Do you ever fantasize? about being killed. Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. give a bag of dicks what kinky shit you're into just be into it quietly due to some violent content parental discretion is advised the battle between heaven and hell has waged eternal their armies fueled by souls harvested on earth the host postmortem has sent a podcast to your ears to recruit fans who will turn the world into a place of bad cgi in exchange for common sense and intelligence a place, a place that, that will provide, provide enough, enough miserable, miserable souls, souls to complete his, his army and allow his takeover to begin. All the dark, dark podcast lord needs now is a great soldier. Someone who can lead his minions to the gates of heaven and burn them into lockdown. From the Next Level Podcast Network and Studio Zero, the podcast that wishes it had more tricks than a hooker. Welcome back everyone to... What lurks behind Podcast Zero? And I am your host, Postmortem Spawn. Oh, shit. Wasn't supposed to... Uh, whatever. Okay, so I spoiled that anyways. Episode 90 is the movie that begs to ask, does this movie really need to have a joke about skid marks and underwear? Guess it does. Yes, kitties. This week's movie review is the CGI Hellfest, known as Spawn. 
starring Michael Jai White as the title character from 1997. Two years before The Matrix was released. Keep that in mind. Something else to keep in mind. Okay, so I'm going to quickly do this. I'm going to try to do this as politely as possible, okay? Because I understand that some people listening to this may actually be on the opposite side of my viewpoint. So, Godzilla versus Kong. So first off, last episode I said Canadians would try to find a way. Well, we didn't have to work really hard on it. Apparently Warner Brothers smartened up really quick and they offered it on demand. 25 bucks for 48 hours. Okay, so I watched it three times. First off, I love it. That, I'm going to put that out on front street. I absolutely love Godzilla vs. Kong. I think the movie did what I expected it to do. And you know, to be quite honest, going into the movie, I didn't think there would be much argument on that. <laughs> well, foolish me. How dare I think a movie would be released and people wouldn't argue about it. But here's my thing. Okay, so... And I've seen, I've seen a lot of both. I've seen a lot of, oh my God, I love this movie. And I've seen a lot of, this movie was a steaming pile of shit. My viewpoint on it is this. Godzilla versus Kong. I want you to think about the title for a moment. Godzilla versus Kong. We're talking about two extremely fictional characters in a fictional fantasy style science fiction movie. And there's people that are taking the movie seriously. I mean, just before recording this, I was already reading, like I, I, I saw that they're talking about how Godzilla versus Kong has now been streamed more than Zack Snyder's Justice League, which, okay, that's not a hard batch to believe. Godzilla versus Kong is an hour and 53 minutes. It's a lot easier to watch that over and over than it is to watch Justice League over and over because of the length. I mean, obviously, with take a rocket scientist to figure that one out you know you don't need a hollow earth theory you know to figure that one out but and that's the thing right like i mean godzilla versus kong i thought going into this i thought it was pretty obvious what we were gonna get i mean i thought you know we're gonna get a silly movie with two titans beating the shit out of each other for two hours. And then, of course, if you know about the spoiler of the other Titan that comes into it, well, obviously, you figure out where this is going. It's a fictional movie. I don't know. It, it, I've noticed that people seem like they're analyzing it too much. I get, okay, yes, the, the human factor. Huh, all right. But my thing, I guess, the whole... The, because I've seen a lot of, oh my god, the, the human stories were stupid. To be fair, human stories are just there to propel the reasons why the Titans fight. I mean, honestly. I mean, it, these aren't the Toho Godzilla movies that they have some, like, hidden political meaning behind them. These are the, um, um, like, the legendary versions that, you know, I, they're not, they're just trying to figure out a way to move the story forward i mean honestly it, your your main human in this movie is played by millie bobby brown madison and it's funny because sometimes 
I actually call her the Millie Bobby Strange thing, Stranger Things girl because it, I still see her as 11. I mean, and it's sad, but it's kind of like the whole Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker thing. They've done something so well that it kind of sticks with them. But her character, yeah, I get it. She was like the smartest person in the movie that really shouldn't be that smart. But like, you know, the government can't find this like podcaster who's like leaking all this shit about Apex Industries through his podcast, which again, why, why is it all of a sudden podcasters are becoming like this big thing in movies to propel stories? We saw this in the 2018 Halloween movie. You know, these two podcasters walked into a maximum security prison because they wanted to interview Michael Myers, who hasn't talked for 40 years. I, why? Like, I, I don't understand the whole... I, and this movie did it too. Like, the whole... The podcaster. Oh, I've got all this information. I work inside there. Blah, blah, blah. And she finds them because of bleach. I don't know. I, I, I understand where the criticisms are coming from. But at the same time, like, I didn't care for that anyways. I mean, I, I remember, with, you know, the scenes with the humans are rolling out. And I'm like, okay, I roll... Um, can we have Kong and Zilla back on the screen? Like, for me, that's what I want, went into it wanting. It's a popcorn movie. You turn your brain off and you just let the movie do what it does. You know, it, we went through how many countless action movies in the 80s and 90s that most of the time you watched it just for the action. Sure, there was a storyline. Most of the time, the storyline was stupid, but you still watch it. Chuck Norris movies. I'm not trying to be mean. I love Chuck Norris movies. But a lot of them are very simple, basic movies. We just want to watch Chuck Norris kick some ass. You know, Jean-Claude Van Damme was another one. Like, movies were very basic and probably didn't have as many plot holes as Godzilla vs. Kong. But then again, like I said, it's a science fiction movie. And as for the, the whole Hollow Earth thing... Look, man, don't try to overanalyze it. Just <laughs> just watch it. Who cares? But I guess that's me. And then, of course, I'm going to review this week's movie and tear it apart. So, I mean, again, I, I'm, quote unquote, a podcaster who pretends he's smart. I'm not that smart. Okay, guys, you know that. I mean, it is what it is. Um, I don't know, maybe the lockdowns and shit, you know, maybe it's getting to people. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, lockdowns seem to be apparently only in certain areas these days. It's weird, like, we, I, I live in Windsor, and Detroit is right across the river, and it's fucking night and day right now. Like, over here, it's like everything is locked down, and oh my god, Premier just said we can't do this and can't do that, and over in Detroit, like, Tigers, home openers, they got people in the stands, it's like... You know, Chicago's got a horror convention coming up, and it's like, well, anyways, whatever. I don't know. I'm supposed to keep the lockdown shit out of this, but it seems like it's everywhere these days. I really shouldn't get started on it. This is supposed to be a happy podcast, right? Let's talk about good shit. You know, like this movie's, like this week's movie review, right? Like, let's talk about this. Um... You know, we'll, we'll, we'll do it the way we always do. We'll do it the trailer time out, you know. And um, when we return, the uh, the shared Deadcast experience. For Spawn. Spawn. First comic book hero portrayed by an African-American. This is it was pretty historical when this movie happened. And the groundbreaking visuals. That was uh, historical. Wait, what? 
groundbreaking visuals. Hmm. You know what? Let's do the trailer. And when we come back, I'll explain. Because, I mean, the thing is, is this movie does have a lot of love, but it has a lot of hate. And, you know, does the precious hate this movie? I mean, only two years after this, The Matrix came out. And two years after that, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, you know, opened up the gates of Mordor for us all. And then we watched this. And... I mean, just sit on what I just said, and we'll come back when the trailer's done. Back in a hell, splat kids. It's time. Imagine a substance with the power to destroy humanity. Imagine a creature insane enough to use it. Imagine a hero on the verge of creation. From flesh to steel. You must visualize your objective. From blood to blade. Don't get cocky. You have a lot more to learn. From man to spawn. This summer, evil has a new enemy, justice has a new weapon, and the world has a new hero. Spawn. Spawn is funny, he's our man, if you can't kill him, no, I can't. Yay, funny. S to the age of the war. S to the peak to the age of the war. Goes funny. Goes funny. Alright, alright, alright. Welcome to hell, kitties. Literally this week, this movie was all about hell. And selling souls to the devil. You ready to sell your soul to the devil, kids? August 1st in 1997, a lot of people sold their souls to the devil when they went and saw this movie for the first time in theaters. North America, anyways. I saw, like, Australia got it, like, December of 97. I think even the UK got it later. Actually, Canada got it first. Canada, it, um, it was shown at the Fantasia Film Festival in July. 97 and then in August it had its widespread theatrical release in North America so yeah did pretty good too in the theaters more on that in a bit uh, written and directed by Mark DePay this movie is his only directorial film to hit the big screen Matter of fact, I think he only has directed something like 16 or 17 
movies, that's it. It's done a lot of visual effects work, but in terms of directing, this was the only one to go to the theaters. Visual effects, though, he's done movies like Back to the Future 2, Hunt for Red, o Red October, The Flintstones, Paranormal Activities 2 and 3, and currently he's writing the screenplay treatment for the upcoming Wicked City adaptation. The 1987 anime that has already been done in live action once, but didn't do so well. And apparently they're trying it again. Good luck with that. That anime is fucking amazing. And it, there's stuff in that anime too that I think is going to be hard to present to the screen. But And I know I saw the live action version that's already out. And it, Think it came out in like the 90s but it was so good that i hardly remember it <laughs> so that should tell you something um spawn though also was written by alan b mcelroy as a matter of fact i think in this he just goes by alan mcelroy and he was basically brought in because he had done work on both uh the spawn comics and the animated series from hbo um other stuff he's done. He's also done Halloween 4. He wrote the screenplay for Halloween 4, or helped write it anyways. And 2003's Wrong Turn, which is funny because he's credited for almost every Wrong Turn movie, but it's just based off the first movie. And then, like, each other movie was, like, you know, characters created by. So, so yeah, Alan McElroy. It was the wrong turn. That, that first wrong turn movie is really good. Same with part two. Part two is really good. I haven't seen the new one yet, so I can't comment on it. I've been told that it's worth it. I may give it a chance, but we'll see. Spawn characters were created by Todd McFarlane. I think everybody pretty much knows that, but it's like I have to give the man his credit. Todd McFarlane will also be involved in the upcoming TV series, Sam and Twitch, which is based on characters in the Spawn universe, as well as the Blumhouse film release of Spawn starring, starring Jamie Foxx and Jeremy Renner. And all I know about that so far is that back in May of 2020, Jason Bloom came out and basically said there's a lot of activity on the set but I mean that doesn't mean shit especially for the past year being a you know pandemic year and whatnot who really knows how far a lot of activity went <laughs> um, but supposedly it is coming so it's something to look forward to this Spawn movie however was produced by Clint Goldman and executive produced by Todd McFarlane. Uh, Clint has also worked on visual effects for movies like The Mask and Fire in the Sky. Todd McFarlane, do I have to say it? Like, really? I mean, I already did. I told you. Without McFarlane, we don't have Spawn Universe, so. Cinematography by Guillermo Navarro, or Navarro, uh, who also worked on movies like Four Rooms, From Dusk Till Dawn, Kronos, Hellboy, Hellboy 2, Pan's Labyrinth, and Pacific Rim. A lot of Guillermo del Toro films he 
the music. The music score was done by Graham Rebel. Probably had, well, almost. Uh, there's one cast member who had well more credits to their name than this guy had. But this guy, Graham Rebel's done a lot of soundtrack work. And for a lot of movies and TV series that would fit this podcast very easily. Movies like The Crow, The Saint, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, the uh, Angelina Jolie one, Child's Play 2, Tank Girl, Strange Days, From Dusk Till Dawn, Street Fighter, The Craft, Idle Hands, Bride of Chucky, The Crow, City of Angels, Bats, Titan AE, Freddy vs. Jason, Sin City, Ion Flux, and the Gotham TV series, just to name a few. He had a lot of credits. He's done a lot of good music. I like the music for this movie, too. Granted, it was really weird when they released the mainstream soundtrack. He was nowhere to be found on it because we had all these rock groups with electronica groups. I'm not going to lie, that soundtrack is fucking lit, but... Yeah, he, his music was nowhere on there. It's like, whatever. Moving on to, okay, so I'm going to talk about this kind of quickly. Uh, special effects. There was a lot of different people involved with the special effects of this movie. Um, Kurtzman, Nicotero, and Berger, uh, the KMB effects team, they did a lot of the uh, animatronic stuff in this movie. Uh, CGI effects were done by Industrial Light and Magic, uh, specifically Steve Spaz Williams, who is from Ontario, Canada, I might add. Um, and Steve has worked on some, like, juggernauts of movies, um, including the Star Wars uh, New Hope. Not the original from 77, but the uh, 1997 special edition update, the 20-year anniversary one. Uh, he worked on The Abyss, Terminator 2, Jurassic Park, The Mask, and Jumanji. Like, I mean, like, those are some big titles. And then also, uh, another name that I picked up in the um, special effects department was Wayne Toth. Uh, he's worked on a shit ton of movies. I kind of picked out some of the titles, including A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, uh, Halloween 4, Bride of Reanimator, Army of Darkness, Jason Goes to Hell, New Nightmare, Godzilla, the 98 Matthew Broderick film, um, The Faculty, House of a Thousand Corpses, Drag Me to Hell, and Lords of Salem, just to name a few. Again, like, I know I'm, I've got my comments about the special effects and CGI of this movie, but there was some big names that came into this movie. And especially watching some of the uh, behind the scenes and the making of and uh, whatnot, you do see there was a lot of passion put into this movie. As for whether it projected well on the screen or not is a completely different story. But they, it, it, you could tell that when they went into this project, they wanted some of the better guys working on it. And they had a lot of ambitions for this film. As for whether or not, like I said, I'll discuss that more. But whether or not it worked opinions are opinions they're like assholes everyone's got one our starring cast for this movie the cast so interestingly enough if you watch the movie the star does not get the first credit 
the supporting role gets first credit. I'm not doing it that way because without this man, you don't have this movie, Michael Jai White as Albert Simmons slash Spawn. He gets second billing in this movie, and I think that's sort of a shame. I understand why they did it, because this was one of his earlier films. But still, he's your star. You announce him first. Not to mention, I mean, he's been in a lot of good movies. Um, I mean, he played Mike Tyson in the TV movie Tyson. Uh, He was in Toxic Avenger 2 and 3. He's the voice of Doomsday for the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited uh, animated series. He was in The Dark Knight years later, Black Dynamite. Uh, He was Bronze Tiger on Arrow, uh, TV series Arrow with uh, Stephen Amell. As Kevin Smith used to say, the boy who likes to take his shirt off. Um, But yeah, Um, and he recently voiced Bronze Tiger in Batman Soul of the Dragon, which is pretty good movie actually it's kind of interesting it's a batman movie that doesn't focus much on batman but if you've seen it it's it's good animated movie i'm not gonna lie but it's a lot of bruce wayne and you know uh richard dragon it's not even batman but anyways whatever i digress going into now our supporting our supporting role here john leguizamo as clown slash violator And yeah, I've talked about this guy on this podcast before, haven't I? Yeah, way back when I did that video game theme uh, month or two months or whatever it was there and did some episodes based on video games and I talked about Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, he was in that. He was also in the movie The Pest, which I love how like whenever you read any reviews online, everyone focuses on Super Mario Brothers and The Pest and they're like, can you believe this guy's career continued after these? Um, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of interesting, but he was also in Die Hard 2, he was in Carlito's Way, he was in, um, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, the one with, uh, Leo DiCaprio, he was in Titan AE, Land of the Dead, Kick-Ass 2, and basically anything that revolved around Ice Age, those Ice Age movies, uh, he was the voice of Sid, and he was in John Wick 1 and 2. Um, so as you can see, like, yes, he was in Mario Brothers in the past, but he was in a lot of other stuff as well. And not to mention this movie. Okay. Well, I keep always jumping ahead. Stay on topic. Martin Sheen as Jason Wynn. 258 goddamn acting credits. I'm sorry. I'm not going through that many. (laughs) I knew this too when I was writing my notes out for this. I'm like, Martin Sheen's going to be a tough one because what do I do with him? Because he's been acting for how long now? I mean, it was like... So I did it like this. I picked up... I picked out the films that I know I've seen that I can comment on. Uh, Movies like Apocalypse Now, The Dead Zone, Firestarter, Wall Street. Yeah, he was... Another comic book movie he was in. He was in The Amazing Spider-Man as Uncle Ben. And... Um, for those of us who have a soft spot in our heart for this TV show, there was a TV movie called Project Elf. You guys remember the little alien from Melmac? Well, yeah, he was in that too. Um, but I mean, like 258 acting credits. And I will say that of the cast, that's not even the most acting credits. 
someone else has a number that is skyrockets over that. Give me a few moments. I'm almost there. Teresa Randall as Wanda Blake. She's awesome in this. She's very solid. Very solid. Um, she was also in movies like Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2. She was in the movie Near Dark. Um, and I guess she's she's credited as Lady in a Truck. <laughs> and the thing is, is I, I didn't even realize she was in the movie. When I saw it credited, I was like looking up her name and stuff and looking at her different acting credits i'm like she's not in now what the fuck are they talking about i don't remember this so i kind of want to go back and watch near dark now and just see where she is in the movie because it's like i never noticed this but vague description lady in truck i'm like well that could be anybody (laughs) like what the fuck um she was in the 1990 movie the guardian that's an excellent movie i have it on vhs um i have it on vhs yeah i know i sound like a nerd but whatever um she was also in the movie Malcolm X. She was in CB4. The movie's hilarious. Uh, Space Jam, which I wasn't going to mention, but yeah, I know. There's the new trailer with the LeBron James Space Jam movie coming out. And apparently a lot of people actually aren't hating on this thing. So it's kind of cool. And she was in Beverly Hills Cop 3. Moving on to uh, Nicole Williamson as Cogliostro. Um... There are only two credits you need to know. And the man's done a a fair amount of acting, but there's only two you need to know. He was Merlin in Excalibur. And he was Father Mourning in Exorcist 3. Stop there. That's all you need to know. But he's awesome in this movie, too. He he actually is really solid as Cogliostro. Um, Moving on to D.B. Sweeney as Terry Fitzgerald. I have a bit to talk about him in a bit. But, uh... He was also in Fire in the Sky, uh, Dinosaur, Hardball with Keanu Reeves, Taken 2, and a shit ton of TV work. Okay, Melinda Clark. Some of you will know her as Mindy Clark, as Jessica Priest. And where do we know that name from? Well, we know her from Return of the Living Dead 3. Which is highly underrated in the Living Dead movies. Uh, Everyone always talks about Return of the Living Dead 1, obviously. um, And Part 2. But Part 3 is always that movie that gets so underrated. And it's such a gem. She was also in the segment of the Animatrix. um, The one Matriculated. She was a voice actress in that. And she was in a lot of TV work. I wrote down Gotham and the Vampire Diaries as the two that I noted, but she was, I think she was in like Tales from the Crypt. She had a few episodes. X-Files, I think she was in one of them. And she'd done a lot of TV work. Next up, Miko Hughes as Zack. Where do we know Miko from? I don't know, maybe Pet Cemetery as Little Gage Creed? Yeah, that kid. I uh, was in this as well. He was also in Kindergarten Cop, New Nightmare, and Clock Stoppers. We all know he was in Kindergarten Cop as, you know, my daddy's a gynecologist. He's that kid. He was also in New Nightmare, yeah. Um, Miko Hughes. Sydney Baudouin? Uh, I think I'm probably butchering that last name, but her first name is Sydney. Anyway, she plays uh, Cyan. Um, Al's daughter, so to speak. And not a lot of acting. 
Um, this is actually probably her most biggest acting role, uh, on top of the fact she was also in the movie 13 Going on 30, but I think she had something like 11 acting credits, that's it. Um, didn't really go much into acting. Almost done, kids. Uh, Michael Papa John as Glenn. A lot of small roles, but he was in a lot of big movies like Predator 2, Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi uh, 2000 Spider-Man, uh, Hulk, Terminator 3, Spider-Man 3, and Terminator Salvation. Robia Lamort. Okay, she's not a big role in this. She's uh, one of the XNN reporters. One of the news news reporters. The reason why I brought her up is because she was also in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV series. She was Jenny Callender. Who would, uh, she was the teacher that would go on to be Giles' love interest. And then Angel killed her. Spoilers! But yeah. Um, she disappeared out of acting for probably about a good 10-15 years. Um, I think she acted up until... I want to say like 2001 and then she disappeared for a while and I remember reading about it too like she went off and I know she was doing like a lot of behind the scenes like charity stuff and she was you know doing a lot of spiritual things and whatnot and then all of a sudden around I think it was like 2017 she got back into acting so but yeah she was the reporter on here and finally finally I love the fact that I get to mention this man's name in this in this podcast episode, Frank Welker as the voice of Malbolgia. And yes, if you've seen this movie and you're like, he sounds like Dr. Claw, that's because he is. Along with 862 other fucking voice acting credits. You know, I've talked about guys on this podcast like Christopher Lee. Uh, even just earlier, Martin Sheen, you know, 258 acting credits. And it's like, you see these people that keep themselves busy. Nobody is as busy as Frank fucking Welker. And yeah, he's the voice of Soundwave. Let's put it this way. He's the voice. Okay. Anything you've seen animated or even video games, he's done video games too. But anything you've seen animated in the past 40 years, somewhere in the credits, you'll see Frank Welker's name. I mean, everything from the Smurfs to the fucking Care Bears, um, DC, Marvel, anything. Dr. Claw, yes. Everybody always comments when they watch this movie, they're like, he sounds like Dr. Claw. That's because he is. Uh, <laughs> Frank Welker as the voice of Malbolgia. That's a tough word for me to say. Um, but yeah. That's the final acting credit, guys. Okay, so runtime is 96 minutes or 98 minutes for the director's cut. Um, the theatrical version was rated PG-13 for violence and language and crude humor. The director's cut is rated R for violence, language, and crude humor. There are some people that will tell you they don't even notice the difference between the two. Uh, the budget for the movie was roughly between 40 to 45 million. Gross profits worldwide, 87.9 million. The synopsis for this film is from the back of the VHS. Well, one of. There's several different VHS covers for this. They released it in different ways. But anyways, 
Imagine a creature on the verge of creation. A creature who must come out of the dark and into the light to fight for justice and vengeance. From flesh to steel. From blood to blade. From man to spawn. Todd McFarlane's comic book sensation comes to life in this live-action film directed by Mark DePay, which explodes with thrills, action, and stunning special effects. Michael Jai White, John Leguizamo, and Martin Sheen star in a battle beyond good, beyond evil, and beyond imagination. And now we're going to the Notes from Hell. I love the fact that pretty much anything I do in this episode, I can say it's from hell. Because the movie literally has scenes in hell. I love it. Okay, so quickly, a few trivia points that will lead right into my review. First off, the role of Al Simmons and Spawn. The names that actually were considered or auditioned for this role is a nice hefty bunch including guys like Wesley Snipes, Cuba Gooding Jr., Snoop Dogg. Could you see Snoop being spawned? Like, fuck, that would be awesome, uh, in a way. Um, Tony Todd, Alan Payne, Denzel Washington, he would have been fucking, he would have been a bomb. And then Samuel L. Jackson, this movie would have no problem getting an R rating with him. Like, everything would be motherfucker this and motherfucker that. It would be hilarious. You'd have Bing Rames. Bing Rames? Oh, man. Tupac Shakur, LL Cool J, and Will Smith. All these names, at one point or another, were toyed with, rumored, or had auditioned for the role of Al Simmons and Spawn. Now, Will Smith ended up backing out because he was afraid it would ruin his clean image. I mean, and the thing is, is I kind of understand that. Will Smith has always been kind of that... He's got the, like, in movies and whatnot, he's always the the good guy. He's the, the clean, you know, clean-cut guy and whatnot. And he's always kind of prided himself on that. So that I understood. I was like, all right, I get it. Um, Wesley Snipes didn't get the role, but then a year later he would play Blade anyways. Um, director-wise, that was, that was, this was kind of interesting. Director-wise... Two names came up in my research, and number the first one was Tim Burton. Yeah. I don't know. Um, ninety-seven. See, Tim Burton had just done Batman and Batman Returns, and I'm trying to think if there was something after that before nineteen ninety-seven. He was still somewhat churning out good films. Not that his stuff. These days is bad, but he's now kind of typecast. He has a certain look and a certain thing, and everybody knows that he goes to Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter for, you know, character roles. So, I don't know. The other name that kind of stood out was Alex Proyas, who he he backed out of this to do Dark City, but when you think about it, he did that first Crow movie. And when I watch Spawn, I kind of get especially with the aesthetic and the setting of the movie, I get a crow feeling from it. It does have sort of that gothic look. So he might have been interesting to see how he would have directed this, but they went with Mark DePay, and it is what it is. Columbia Pictures had shown interest in making a film adaptation of Spawn when the comic book came out in 1992. But 
Here's the problem with this, and this is something that I talk about a little bit later in the in the review as well. The studio was not going to give Todd McFarlane that much control. That was his problem, and I can't say I blame him. Studios always interfere with shit. So instead of him going with Columbia Pictures, which is the big name owned by Sony, yada yada, you know, he goes to New Line Cinema and gives them basically the rights to the film for a dollar as long as they allow him to have creative input and merchandising rights. One dollar is all New Line Cinema had to give him for the licensing, like the distribution rights. That's all. Seriously, it reminded me almost of trading places. Here's a dollar. <laughs> like, what What the fuck? Um, but all, because all McFarlane wanted was, hey, as long as I get the input and I get to deal with the merchandising, you can distribute this film. Columbia Pictures were idiots because they wanted to be, you know, in control. All they had to do was put their egos aside and they would have had this movie for a buck. According to Michael Jai White, uh, when they filmed this movie, he personally was more a fan of the first cut of the film. He felt it was more serious, uh, darker, uh, character-driven, and he see, he's actually come out and said, like, he, 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 you know, at no point in time in any interview have you ever actually heard him say that he liked this movie. Um, but he was more keen on the first cut. Um, but then when New Line Cinema gave Mark DePay a little bit more creative control and whatnot, they allowed him to make a few more decisions than he probably should have. Uh, that's when a lot of the humor got brought into this movie. And <laughs> as Michael Jai White basically said, yeah, he was confused a lot of the time. He was like, with the reshoots, he was like, what the, what the fuck are we doing? This isn't even the same movie. You do get that when you watch this film. You can see where, at times, it must have really wanted to go down a dark path, and then all of a sudden you have this interjected humor that it's like, well, <laughs> I don't know if that should have worked or not. In terms of comic book movies, this was, in fact, the first movie in history, comic book universe, that an African-American was the lead role. That's awesome. That is extremely awesome. It's not the first time that a superhero was portrayed by a lead black man, though. Um, that that credit went, went to uh, Meteor Man in 1993, and then followed up by Blank Man in 1994. But the thing is, is that neither of those were based on comic books. They were just superhero movies. But they weren't based on comic books. This was the first one that was comic book based. The second one came out the same year. Um, in 1997, which was Steel. Uh, the movie with uh, Shaq O'Neal. Yeah, that came out the same year in 1997. And then in 1998, Blade came out. So it was nice to see that Spawn started that trend of African American lead superhero characters and i mean just recently what within the past five years we've had what black panther is another one that is love or hate it i know there's some people out there that are like no this movie wasn't my thing but it's a solid film and whether you like it or not you can't deny the movie's not a solid film um this movie was initially uh, initially given an r rating due to violent content 
They gave it a PG-13 rating, but as I already said, there's a lot of people that, like, when they watch both movies, they really don't see much of a difference. I'm not going to lie. Yes, I've watched both versions. You can see the differences, I guess, in some of the violence, but really, whether it's rated R or it's rated PG-13, it really doesn't change the overall tone of the film. And finally, originally Hell. The scenes within Hell were not in the original film. Those were brought in later. Um, Originally, they were going to have it as a dark room. And that's where um, probably they would do like like, you've seen in movies where like, you know, the character is in is surrounded by blackness, you know. And um, I think that was the intent they were going to go with originally. And then they decided, okay. We're going to bring hell into the movie. So they, I remember they said something like Clint Goldman gave like an extra 20 million for special effects and said, okay, let's, let's hype this thing up. Let's make it awesome. Let's bring hell into the movie, which hell is exactly what that is. Um, it is probably the worst part of this movie. I know I keep teasing it. I will get back to that in a moment, but. Before I get into that, I'm also going to apologize right now. My allergies are flaring, guys, so at times I know my voice sounds a little nasal. I apologize for that. Uh, Okay, getting back to the review, though. The actors. The actors in this movie are not the problem here. (laughs) I cannot stress this enough. Uh, Martin Sheen. Okay, so he plays Jason Wynn. He's kind of doing some weird shit with his voice. I know he's trying to sound like menacing and intimidating and I'm the evil guy. I will tear you down, Spawn. And he's doing like that weird thing with his voice. Um, It's not really a detracting factor, but it is weird. Um, And then Michael Jai White. I have no complaints about his Spawn, but here's the thing. I'm a big fan of the HBO series. I had mentioned it last podcast episode that I know the comics a bit, but not much. Um, I did actually go back and read a digital copy of Spawn number one, just so I had something to compare this on. But I've always been a fan of the animated series. And Keith David is a fucking gem. In that animated series. And here's the reason why I like Keith David's version of Spawn better than Michael Jai White's. Because Keith, in his vocal approach to Spawn, always had this calm approach. He doesn't sound... He sounds angry, but in a calm way. It's like, to quote Rage Against the Machine, it's calm like a bomb. Um, You get this feeling with Keith David's Spawn that... He could blow up at any time, but he never actually does. It's very, very suave. Um, Michael Jai White's character, like his version of Spawn, when he's talking, like, and you see the menacing growl in his eyes and you hear it in his voice. And it's like, it's very gruff. I'm not complaining about it. I, it, it it's not bad. It works for the movie. But I always had a thing about Keith David's version. It was like, ugh. And I mean, I've recently been revisiting that original HBO series because it's on uh, Crave here in Canada. So 
I've been slowly knocking it off again. And I just love his portrayal. And it's like, I almost kind of wish Michael Jai White would have gone with something like that. But at the same time, I do like what he did. So I'm not going to knock him for it. It's just, I'm very partial to that animated series. I absolutely love it. Um, in the original Spawn comics, okay. This is kind of where I, I bring up about studio interference. Because in the original Spawn comics, Terry Fitzgerald, and I believe in the animated series it's the same thing, he's Al Simmons' best friend, he was also African American. When they made this movie, they made him a white dude. D.B. Sweeney plays Terry Fitzgerald. Todd McFarlane has come out and explained that the reason the change was made was due to a studio decision because they were afraid of having too many African-American leads that it be they believed it would give the audience a false impression that this target audience was primarily black. So it would keep the other audience, you know where I'm going with this, out of the theaters. This is where studios need to back the fuck off. Because people still would have gone to see this. Spawn was one of the hottest comic books of its time, of that time. People would have gone. It, it, there was no reason other than you are a bunch of racist pricks why you changed the character of Terry Fitzgerald from a, a black man to a white man. And that's, that is bottom fucking line. I, I love New Line Cinema. They've made some of my favorite movies. But this is one of those times where I'm like, you guys are idiots. That said, because I pointed that out now, I don't want to take away from D.B. Sweeney either, though. His performance of Terry is solid. He plays it good. He plays it like you would expect Terry Fitzgerald to be. He's not bad in the movie. But when you hear about how studios interfere, that's what sucks. We've seen this. How many times have we seen this? We've seen this recently with Justice League, where everyone's like, okay, we had the Joss Whedon version that bombed in the theaters, and then Zack Snyder's version comes out later, and it's like, why didn't you give us this? Why did you interfere with this? Um, and I only bring that movie up because that's the most recent scenario of that but studios are constantly interfering and they ruin movies luckily that character was not ruined db sweeney did a great job with it but again studios fuck off let creators do what creators do um one thing that was kind of changed in the movie from the comics and it actually didn't serve as a bad thing Melinda Clark's character. She plays Jessica Priest. So in the comics, um, the character that kills Spawn is a character by the name of Chapel. But he could not be used in this movie because the rights of that character were owned by Rob Liefeld, creator of Deadpool. You know, the whole Deadpool thing, right? So anyways, he owns the rights of Chapel because he created that character. So they couldn't use him in the movie. So they created Jessica Priest, which is where Melinda Clark comes into play. Interestingly enough, because it worked basically really well in this movie, 
Eventually, she was put into the comic books and in, like, the, the whole canon of the Spawn universe. So, one of those moments where we see a film does something different and then it, because it works, we're like, okay, we'll, we'll now incorporate that into the original canon. Um, into, uh, other actors. Teresa Randall, she's great as Wanda. Um, Sydney and Miko are great. The kids, they're, they're, they're really, they're, they're cute, they're adorable, they do what they're supposed to do. Uh, Nicole Williamson as Cogliostro is fantastic. And then, I mean, Frank Welker doing the voice of Malbogia. He, he's just great, and it's like Dr. Claw against Spawn, basically. It's really kind of cool. But when it comes to the acting, John Leguizamo... I understand why they give him the lead credit in in the opening credits. As much as it should have gone to Jai White, we give it to Leguizamo. And the reason why is because with the exception of the immature Skidmark joke that I cringe every time I see it, he literally went for the the jugular with his performance, and it is a glorious thing of beauty for it. Watching the behind the scenes even, you can see this guy was having fun. He was like, okay, I get to be a clown. I'm gonna I'm gonna ham it up and I'm gonna have fun with this. Um I'm not sure how clown ends up at Cyan's birthday party. You know, and nobody got creepy vibes from him at all. Like, I'm sorry. If I'm a parent and that shows up to my house and says, I'm here for your kid's birthday party. Um, no, you're not. Get the fuck out of here. But <laughs> I mean, uh, that's it. Like, he's he's so great. Seeing some of the behind the scenes, though, I mean, I, you almost feel for the poor dude. I mean, like, because like clown is like a really short character and John Leguizamo ain't a short guy. So a lot of the times when he was performing, he had to like kneel down or like squat or crouch. Um, and like, I love the quote. I read the quote uh, in one of the interviews where they interviewed him and they were like, well, what was it like to have all the makeup and the prosthetics on? And he's like, well, it was like being a penis in a body condom. Uh, <laughs> that kind of made me laugh. Um, but I mean, he took it. He took it like a champ. Uh, both him and Michael Jai White both, you know, said like, being in their costumes was very hot. They were sweating all the time. Um, the scene where Clown eats the pizza with the maggots, those were live waxworms that were actually on that pizza. Um, he did eat those. And then apparently when they went cut, yeah, he uh, he kind of puked it all up. <laughs> um, but man, like I talk about like a performance, you know, he... He, he brought it. He brought his A-game to that. And that is one thing that, hands down, if the Spawn movie did anything right, it was John Leguizamo as Clown. Um, and his chemistry with Michael Jai White is great. Like, the two of them just play so well off each other. Uh, I can understand why they went with, you know, Michael and John, basically, and said, you you too will be our stars in this thing because like it, it works so well. Quickly moving on to the effects. Okay, so Spawn suit looks amazing. The cape looks awesome in this. Great job with that. The practical effects and makeup look really good. Clown looks amazing. Like Clown and Spawn both look amazing. 
And then the movie says we're going to go to hell. Literally, because God. Okay, here's where I complain a little bit. The scenes in hell are painful as fuck to watch. I mean, yes, we get Frank Welker's voice as Malbosia. He's awesome. Dr. Claw and all. I love it. I I absolutely do. But the CGI is horrible. I can't believe that anyone approved this and was okay with it. I guess maybe, like... And here's the thing. When you watch the making of, like, you see these guys are really passionate about what they were doing. Like, they really were trying. I I don't want to take away that effort from them. They were trying to do something with this. But I can't say that it works. It's so distracting. It's just, it's, oh. I've seen cutscenes in, you know, N64 games that were better than this. (laughs) Like, I think, I, I even commented earlier like what like one or later in my review that like one of like the reviews basically said it was like watching a ps2 game but a cheaply made one and it it is it, it's brutal and considering that only two years later the matrix comes out and blows people's minds away two years after that new line cinema releases Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, and we're sitting there going, oh my God. I mean, The Matrix was being made at the time this movie was released. It's, oh, and it's such a distracting factor is what it's probably the number one complaint by anybody is the scenes in hell. I really wish we would have actually seen them go with the, the black room, the dark room. I think it would have been more effective. This, it hurts. And their idea of what Malbosia looks like, and or as sometimes they call him the devil. It's just, it's just, I don't know if it was, it's originally supposed to be a puppet. It's mouth doesn't even fucking move. Like you didn't even take the time out. I know there I read some theory where one of the creators was saying like, we wanted to have the idea that like you heard his voice through the surrounding fires of hell and not from his mouth. Okay, maybe yes. Suspend some disbelief, you know. Like you would Godzilla versus Kong, maybe. Um But I don't know. I mean, even Johnny Mnemonic that came out two years before this, in nineteen ninety five, had better CGI than this. Um and that's saying something because Johnny Mnemonic, some of the CGI in that was bad. But I don't know. You take the hell scenes out of this movie and the effects and the makeup and the prosthetics and all that sort of stuff is so good. I think it would really make this movie look and feel a lot better. And I mean, this movie tries to cram a lot into 96 minutes. I'm not going to lie. Um but a lot of movies make that mistake, so I, I don't really want to shit on that. But I do understand at the same time why now here we are in 2021 and so many people are like, I'd rather a series than a movie, you know, because when you try to cram too much into a movie, kind of like, um, I don't know, this movie <laughs> and, you know, uh, when you try to do too much, it feels rushed. It feels unfinished. Um, 
And then we get like, you know, like, like how many people are so invested in these Marvel TV series right now? We just saw today. We just had the trailer drop for the Loki movie or Loki series. Sorry. And that looks fun. That looks awesome. Um, I didn't think I would actually really care for it. And then I saw the trailer. I'm like, I'm on board. (laughs) This one looks fun. Um, I mean, and even just let's stay within the Spawn universe. Compare this movie to that HBO series. The series is phenomenal. The only thing is, is it kind of ends on a cliffhanger and was never resolved after, you know, season three. But whatever. It it happens, right? Hello, Terra Nova. Um, You know, uh, Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, um, (laughs) like uh, Firefly. You know, these are series that like notice they're all from Fox. But anyways, um, all series that just ended and it was like, we want more and you didn't give it to us. Kind of what happened with the HBO series. But in terms of this movie, it's not a complete loss. The critics, on the other hand, would probably tell you it's a waste of fucking time. As a matter of fact, they do. Um, Rotten Tomatoes. If you look over there, it's a 17% rotten critic score. The audience isn't much better at a 36% shitty score. Um, Metacritic basically sees the movie at a 34 out of 100 score. The movie, like I said, has been compared to a cheap PS2 game. It was called Atrocious Garbage by some. Um, One specific reviewer that I pulled their comments from, Laura Miller... Uh, called Spawn a witless exercise in reheating leftovers. She basically felt like it was a rehash of Spider-Man or a poor man's Batman. She declares, (laughs) I love this, she basically comes out and says, this movie sucks, Uh, criticizes the special effects, says the movie takes itself too seriously, she was critical of the lack of dramatic structure, her specific quote, dramatic structure. Uh, she calls it a film helmed by technicians and concludes that the film is by smart people pretending to be stupid. No, I'm the stupid guy trying to pretend I'm smart. What are you talking about? Surprisingly, this caught my attention. Roger Ebert. Ooh. Did you know he loved this movie? He gave it three and a half out of four stars. He said, okay, the film's plot was sappy. You know, it's all for the love of Wanda. And that's what the basic premise of Spawn is. He he makes a deal with the devil because he loves Wanda. That's what it all comes down to. But Roger Ebert also said that this had some of the most ineffective, innovative effects of the era. In terms of the practical effects, he's not wrong. Um, he says, as a visual experience, Spawn is unforgettable. Okay, well, he's kind of not wrong about that either, although we wish we could forget some of the visuals. And then, of course, Gene Siskel completely disagreed with him, but that's not shocking at all. He basically called this movie garbage. But he loved Batman. Uh, whatever. Um, IMDb, the film score is 5.3 out of 10, with both 5 and 6 being the two most voted rankings uh, as a matter of fact, 40.1% of the votes are either 5 or 6. The podcast zero rating. Let me do this quickly. It's dark, it's gothic, it's a brooding film. 
Like I said before, it kind of gives me a bit of a crow feeling in terms of the aesthetic. But then we have the scenes in hell with the really bad CGI that makes this film sometimes hard to watch. The acting for mostly all the actors is solid, but I have to give it to John Leguizamo as clown. He takes the fucking cake. He brought his A-game and then some, and I love him for it because it kind of, in a small little way, erases my memory of him being Luigi Mario in the Super, in the Super Mario Brothers movie. I almost call it a superhero movie, but it's definitely not that. Uh, the soundtrack, which I didn't mention much of, um, in terms of the mainstream one, obviously I said it was the whole you know metal bands meet electronica bands kind of thing. Um, filtering, you know, uh, Crystal Method, um, Metallica, well, what is it, Kurt Hammett with, um, shit, Orbital, um, they did that Satan, uh, Satan, Satan, Satan song, yeah, they did that, uh, Prodigy was with, oh, who the fuck was it, uh, Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, you get my point, like, I mean, they did a lot of, like, that sort of stuff. But then the score by Graham Ravel, which really seemed to fly under the radar, was actually very dark and gorgeous. It was a very nice, lush soundtrack. Um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, when I found out that Michael Jai White basically said there was a darker version of this film, I wish we would have gotten that. The humor is okay. I mean, when it when it's... When it's Clown doing some of his vulgar, crude humor, I mean, that's in the comics, that's in in this, in the animated series as well, so I, that I'm cool with. I did not care for the skin mark joke, though. That seemed like it was just sort of stupid and really could have done without that. All in all, though, I do like this movie. I do enjoy watching this movie, but if I have a choice between this or the HBO series that came out the same year... I will pick that damn series every single time. That said, this movie is 6 out of 10 hellfires for me. I do like this movie. I do enjoy it. It is It is what it is. It's a movie from 1997. Like I said, sometimes when I look at some of, especially the look of Clown, I absolutely love that, and the look of Spawn, and the way they did the cape. The, the cape is gorgeous in this movie. Unfortunately, those hell scenes really take me out of it. And even just, I re, I, so I thought I would save myself a little bit of heartache and pain. I watched the VHS version of this when doing this review because I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe if the visual quality on my TV screen isn't so defined, it won't hurt me as much. No, it hurt even more. <laughs> I was like, don't do that again. Um, but I mean, all in all, it's it's. A movie of its time, and the fact that it was also the first movie that allowed an African-American man to be the lead superhero role, that's awesome. And we have Todd McFarlane to thank for that. We have Mark DePay to thank for that. We have New Line Cinema to thank for that. I know I bitched about their studio interference with the character of Terry Fitzgerald, or... Um, yeah, Fitzgerald. Is it Fitzgerald? Why do I, I always screw things up? Anyways, whatever. Um, it's it. This is a great movie. This is it, it's worth watching. It's it's fun. 
don't take it too seriously. I say the same thing about Godzilla versus Kong. Don't take it so seriously. Just watch it for what it is. Stupid movie that's supposed to entertain you. Spawn was meant to be a blockbuster, and that's basically what it was. Um, I mean, it's summer release, right? It came out right in the middle of summer, August 1st. It's meant to be a big theatrical movie, and that's basically what it was. And on that note, thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back yet another week to listen to a stupid guy pretend he's smart. Uh, still love that. That that yeah, what was it? What's her name? Laura? Laura Miller? Yes, Laura Miller. When she was like, it's smart people pretending to be stupid. I was like, no, you have it backwards. And you would be talking about me. But uh, <laughs> anyways, thank you for tuning in. What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero can be found on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, in terms of the podcast itself, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Red Circle, Amazon. Uh, there's a whole bunch of places to find it. It's home to the Next Level Network. What Lurks Behind Podcast Zero.com. There's so many different ways to find the podcast. And I even have occasionally gone on Google myself and I'll Google my own podcast. It comes up now. It's There's lots of clicks. There's lots of ways to find it. I'm not going to recommend anything for Lurker's recommendation this week only because I, I put a lot of focus on this podcast this week. So I didn't really watch a whole lot of anything else aside from Godzilla vs. Kong, which... Honestly, watch it if you want to, or don't watch it if you don't want to. I'm, I'm not going to really recommend it, because apparently, it's a very polarizing movie. I would not have expected that. But anyways, we're going to close out with the title track of this movie in terms of the soundtrack, uh, Spawn, done by Silverchair and Vitro. And episode 91, I will announce. Um, episode 91... As I said, I'm kind of doing comic-based superheroes, but from a darker point of view. So episode 91, we're going to go hang out with our buddy Keanu Reeves and his performance of Constantine from 2005. That said, it's time to end this show. Thank you for tuning in. And yeah. If you haven't seen this movie, I'm one, I'm not apologizing for spoiling shit because my God, 1997, it's been around a while, uh, but I do recommend give it a shot. It's it, aside from the hell part, the movie's pretty fun. It's not bad. I mean, no, some of the action scenes are eh, whatever, but whatever. Oh, and I should mention uh, Cogliostro. If you're familiar with the comics or the animated series, yes, he had like a really long beard and stuff like that. Apparently the actor, Nicole Williamson, would not grow a beard for this movie. I don't understand that. It's like Cesar Romero when he was the Joker in the 66 Batman, he wouldn't shave his mustache. What is the thing with this? Like, why does our facial hair... What's so important about it? It grows back or it doesn't grow back. Like, I mean, if you don't want it, okay, grow it for the movie and then shave it. If you want it, shave it for the movie and then let it grow back. Like, why do we... I don't understand actors why they make such a big deal about their facial hair. But I don't know. Anyways, that's that. It's a cut. You need to shut the fuck up.